0: Thank you so much, Melissa. Uh, I also forgot to uh, welcome Irene is back with us today. Praise God. (laughs) After all she's been through with uh, her fall and all the long recovery time and all the other things that went along with that, it's good to have you back, Irene. God bless you, dear. And also uh, I want to welcome Paul Laska. He's here today. We haven't seen him for a while. He's looking well, except uh, he's got a little trouble with the arm going on. So uh, our prayers are with you, Paul. Hope that heals up and uh, you have full use of that back. Over to the other mic. I think we're ready to go now. We've come to the main message portion of our service, so as always, we'll start with prayer. Heavenly Father, as we open our Bibles now, we just long to know more about you. You're a wonderful God, and... uh, it seems that the world doesn't know you. You've given us information. You've given us uh, truth about yourself that helps us to understand you better. So as we study your word today, just fill us with a deeper understanding and appreciation of who you are, the kind of God you are, and how much you love us. So we pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. When you consider this God that we worship, you know, in, in some ways we are similar to Him because He tells us in His Word that we're made in His image. Yet on the other hand, God is so far above us. We should never take Him for granted or, or treat Him like a human being because He's not. He is God. He is forever God, and uh, He has revealed Himself to us in His Word. And I want to take some time today to look at some of the things that God tells us about himself. The title of the sermon is The Nature of God. And there are several points that I want to bring out in the sermon today that teach us about his nature, how he is different from us. So let's go through them one by one. And keep this in mind, if you don't have God's word available to you, There's no way that we can understand these things. So that's one of the reasons why we study His Word so diligently. The more we read and the deeper we look, the more we come to understand just who this God is that we worship. Now, granted, Scripture says that there are some things we can learn about Him from His creation. We can see the beauty, we can see the intricacy of his creation, and we can see his mind in that. We look at the animal creation, for those of us who have pets and how much we appreciate them, and we can actually see God's design and God's creation in that animal. But his scripture goes deeper and teaches us some important things about God that we need to know. So the first characteristic of God that I'd like to look at today is found in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Let's turn there, if you you will. And the first characteristic of God is that he is eternal. He is eternal. Now, what does that mean? Well, it means that he didn't have a beginning and he doesn't have an end. Now, that is drastically different from us and from everything we know about this creation, God's creation here on earth. Because we exist this way, we all had a beginning, and the Bible talks about the certainty of death, that uh, if Jesus Christ doesn't return in time, we're all, as we grow older, we're all going to die. It's given to man once to die, okay? Then, of course, we know there's going to be a resurrection, so we, in a sense, have a beginning and an end. God didn't have that. And it says in 1 Timothy 6, verse 16, notice what uh, Paul says to Timothy here in describing God. uh, In in the previous verse, it, it says, God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal. He is the only one who is immortal and eternal, who didn't have a beginning. You know, all the rest of His creation... We know that God created spirit beings, angels. There seems to be other types of beings that He created in the heavenly realm. He brought them into existence, so they all had a beginning. God didn't have a beginning. We certainly had a beginning on the day that we were born. That's when our life began and we came into this world, but God did not have a beginning. He alone has immortality. He didn't have a beginning, and He doesn't have an end. You know, it talks in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1, I won't turn there, but it starts off in the beginning. In other words, at the beginning of recorded history, God did this, or God did that. So when human history started, God was already in existence. How long has God existed? For all time. Now, our minds are locked in to physical things. Life that has a beginning and an end. That's the way our mind works. We always thought of where we started and where we will end. But with God, there is no beginning and there is no end. He has existed for all time. Now, our minds can't fully grasp that truth. We take God's word for it. He is immortal. He alone is immortal. You know, I've had discussions sometimes with people uh, who think that maybe our ultimate uh, outcome is going to be that that we will someday become God. And I say, no, we can't, because we all had a beginning. God never had a beginning. He alone is God. So that separates him from all of his creation, not only humans, but even uh, spirit creation, the angels and so on. God is unique in that respect scripture in psalm 90 verse 2 says this psalm 90 and verse 2 it starts off in verse 1 lord you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations verse 2 of psalm 90 before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting you are God. Okay, so what does it mean for God to be eternal? Well, he's been God from everlasting to everlasting. Try to try to wrap your mind around that. It's hard for us to do. So we know that God at some point in time created the universe. He created this earth. It seems before that that he created the angels, because in the book of Job, it talks about how the angels rejoiced at the time God created the earth and the universe. So part of God's creation was the angelic realm, and that seems to have happened before he created the physical universe, but nevertheless, the angels were still created. They're not immortal. I mean, they they had a beginning, just like we did. So God alone has immortality. God alone is eternal. So that's an important thing to consider when we talk about God. He's been around forever. Now back here in 1 Timothy, another aspect that he brings out about God is that God is invisible. God is invisible. 1 Timothy 1 verse 17 says this, 1 Timothy 1 verse 17, now to the king eternal, talking about God, immortal, invisible, the only God. So God is not like us. Now, he's not just a person walking around in heaven someplace. He is spirit, the scripture tells us. He's not made of flesh and bones like we are. He's not human by any means. He is spirit, which means that he is, you want to call it a different substance, although spirit is not really made of a substance. You can't take a piece of God and analyze it under a microscope because spirit cannot be analyzed in that way. God is spirit, which means spirit is invisible. So you can't see God unless he chooses to manifest himself in some way. Now, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, was incarnated. Now, not to get too deep, but before Jesus was born of a virgin, He, of course, existed because God is a trinity, and they existed forever as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One God in three persons. But at some point in time, about 2,000 years ago, the Son of God took on human flesh. Through a miracle of the Holy Spirit, he was conceived in the Virgin Mary, and he was born as a human being. He alone had two spirits, or two natures, rather. He was fully God and fully man. So in that sense, you could see God for that particular period of time that Jesus walked the earth, because he was manifested, he was incarnated. But before that, the Son of God was invisible and spirit and existed eternally with the Father and the Holy Spirit. So understand the nature of spirit. Spirit is invisible unless it chooses to manifest itself. You might say, well, you're saying that God is invisible and God is spirit, but doesn't the Bible talk about God having eyes to see and ears to hear? Well, yeah, the Bible does say that, but understand that that is a figure of speech, so to speak. That is a way of putting thoughts into words to help us to understand God. Now, even though God doesn't have eyes to see, he sees everything that happens on this earth. He doesn't do it through eyeballs because he's not human. We have eyeballs, and I don't understand fully the way an eyeball uh, uh, functions. But we see things reflected off of life and light, and it enters into, you know, our eyes, and then it goes to our brain, and we understand what we see. God doesn't need that; He's not human. But as an invisible spirit, He has the capacity to be aware of everything that happens on this earth. He doesn't need literal eyeballs. And God doesn't need ears to hear our prayer. He's able to hear our prayers. We need ears because the way God designed us, uh, sound waves enter in and we hear things and it goes to our brain and our brain kind of figures out what that is that we're hearing. That's the way God designed us to be. But God isn't like that. So we need to separate his creation, us, and the way he made us to function as compared to him and how he functions. You know, there's a something that is done in the Bible, and the, the term is anthropomorphism. Anthropomorphism. And what that means is sometimes you attribute human characteristics, characteristics to God, like Him having eyes and Him having ears. And they do that in the Bible to kind of help us to understand a little bit more what God is like. We give Him human characteristics. So it helps us to you know grasp what it means to be god and and how he acts in regard to his creation and the human race so that's fine but understand that it's just an anthropomorphism anthropo means human morphism means traits so we attribute human traits to god sometimes in the scripture the writers of scripture did in order to help us to understand that God does see what happens in our life. And He does see things that happen in the world. And He does hear our prayers. Although the Bible doesn't mean that He literally has ears, He's spirit. He is invisible. So I hope you, you, you're able to grasp that. In John 4, verse 24, it's Jesus Himself who tells us that God is spirit. John 4, verse 24, Jesus says this God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. So what have we learned so far? Well, first of all, that God is eternal. He didn't have a beginning. He's never going to have an end. And furthermore, he invites us to participate with him from this point forward. You see, we had a beginning, but when we accept Jesus Christ and and we become Christians and we become a, a believer and a follower of Jesus... What God is saying, in a sense, to us is hop on board. I want you to be with me from this point forward into all eternity. See, we weren't with him before our birth, but now that we're called, now that we become Christians, He wants us to get on board of His life and be with Him throughout all eternity, as He lives on forever. We're invited to to join Him in that that point. So what have we learned so far? God is eternal. God is spirit. He's not human. He's not physical. And he is invisible. He's spirit. So you can't see God unless he somehow chooses to manifest himself in some form that our human eyes can see. Another characteristic of God is that he is all-knowing. The word is omniscient. Omni means all and you kind of have the word science in there too, which means all knowledge, omniscient. It means God is all-knowing. He knows everything. He knows everything. That kind of blows us away, that concept. You know, sometimes we think we're (laughs) know-it-alls. We don't know hardly anything. And the older we get, the more we tend to forget about what we did know at some point in time, but God is all-knowing. Turn with me to a, a, a psalm or two that we'll look at. Psalm 147. 147. The psalmist says this. See as I get there. Psalm 147 beginning in verse 4. He's talking about God. It says, He determines the number of the stars. He determines the number of the stars and calls them each by name. And I don't know if you know how many stars there are. Uh, Scientists estimate. I think I I read the the exact figure or the estimated figure. I think it, it seems to me that it was the number 37 followed by... Twenty-two zeros. The number 37 followed by 22 zeros. And they say that the number of stars that we have detected in the universe is equal to the number of grains of sand on every beach in the world. That's how many stars there are. The number of stars in our universe that have been detected so far are equal to the number of grains of sand on every beach around the world. The total number. Can you imagine how much that is? And that's the number of stars. And don't forget that there are a lot of stars out there, like our star, the sun, that has planets rotating around it. So it's not counting any planets. It's just just counting the number of stars. God is all-knowing. And he knows the number of stars that are out there exactly. And he's got a name, a unique name for each one of them. Wow. It says in verse 5, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding has no limit. So everything there is to know, God knows. So don't ever go to God in prayer and act like he doesn't know what you're going through. Or he doesn't know how you feel. Or he doesn't know the persecution that you've been enduring. He knows. He understands exactly. Psalm 139, beginning in verse 1. Psalm 139, verse 1, says this. So not only does God know physical knowledge about the earth and about the universe, but when it comes to you, what does God know? This is what David said. Psalm 139, verse 1, O Lord, you have searched me, and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. So God really knows you well. And the great thing is, he still loves you, (laughs) even though he knows you. My mother always used to say to me, I know you like a book. And I believed it, because my mother knew me really well. She was the one who gave birth to me. She watched me over all my years growing up. And sometimes I would try to put things past my mother. Or I would act, you know, in a way like I really wasn't. She always said, you like to act like a big shot, don't you? But you're not a big shot. I know you like a book. God knows us even more intimately. And he still loves us. Praise be to God for that. He knows all of our weaknesses. He knows our sins. He knows our shortcomings. He knows our mistakes from the past. He knows it all. He knows everything about us but he still loves us. And I mean, that is worthy of praise. I don't know about you, but I love to praise him because he knows me intimately and in spite of what he knows, he's called me to salvation and he loves me dearly. And one thing about God's knowledge, and this is brought out in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah 46 and verse 10. God's knowledge goes all the way back into the past and it goes all the way ahead into the future. He knows things that are going to happen to you before they happen because it's all in his control and under his power. It says in Isaiah 46, verse 10, God speaking, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand, and I will do all that I please. So when you wake up in the morning... God knows everything that's going to happen to you that day. He already knows in advance because he's not limited by time. God transcends time. Now, what do I mean by that? God is not limited by physical laws like we are. You know, there's a law of gravity where if you go up in a high place and jump off the edge, you know what? You're not going to go floating around. You're going to to head straight down and have a hard landing, okay? Because we're governed by physical laws, we're governed by the dimensions of our world and so on, okay? God is not governed in that way. He is in charge of his creation. He can overcome rules of his creation whenever he chooses to. He's not limited in any way. That's why when Jesus and the disciples were on the boat on the lake in the storm, and the disciples said, Lord, there's a storm coming. It's going it's to flood our boat. We're going to capsize. Jesus knew that as the Son of God, that storms obey Him. He's not limited to the physical creation. He is in charge of the physical creation. Even death cannot stop Jesus Christ. You know, when it was time to raise Lazarus from the dead, everybody said, well, what's he doing? Lazarus is dead. He's been dead for three days. And Jesus went in and raised him back to life because Jesus is not limited to the physical laws that we're all limited by. And that should be an encouragement to us because sometimes we think, boy, our situation is hopeless. And we pray to God and and sometimes we think, well, what what can God do? Well, God can do anything. With God, all things are possible because He's not limited by physical laws like we are. And furthermore, He has existed for all time, will exist for all time, and even time doesn't limit Him. He is in control of time. We're limited by time, He's not. So, God is all knowing, He knows the past. And he even knows the future. That's why he writes prophecies in the Bible. And you know what? They're going to come true. Because God is already there. And he sees it fulfilled. So when he makes a prophecy, you can count on it happening. And that should give us a sense of peace, to know that God is in that much control of our lives. So he's all-knowing. There's another characteristic of God, that he is omnipresent. He exists everywhere. Now, don't forget, he's spirit. He's not limited to being in a body in one place like we are. Where is Pastor John now? Well, he's in uh, Mill Creek Metro Park, uh, McMahon Hall. Well, isn't he over in uh, uh, Cleveland? Or he's not in Pittsburgh. Nope, I'm right here. I'd like to be in Cleveland or I'd like to be in Pittsburgh right now, but I'm right here. If I want to go over there, I've got to get in the car and drive to get myself over there. God is not limited like that. God is omnipresent. He's present everywhere. Notice it says in Psalm 139, beginning in verse 7, there's nowhere you can go to escape God because he's everywhere. He is able to do that because he is spirit. He's not human. He's not limited by being in one body. Psalm 139, verse 7, David says, where can I go from your spirit? How can I escape you, God, if I wanted to? Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you're there. You know, we got people in the International Space Station right now orbiting around the earth constantly. God is there with them. He says, if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If you go down to West Virginia, there's people working in coal mines right now, way down below the earth. God is there with him. If I rise on wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, Surely the darkness will hide me. You know, it talks about uh, sinners doing their thing in darkness because they think nobody can see. Don't kid yourself. God is there in the darkness just as he's there in the light. And God is able to see because he doesn't have human eyes that need light reflecting off of what you're doing. He's able to see in the dark very easily. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. Do you believe that? God knew you while your mother was carrying you around, before you were born. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. So, notice, God is present everywhere. There's a scripture, I won't turn there, but Proverbs 15.3, Proverbs 15.3 says, The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. Does that mean there's a bunch of little eyeballs floating around? (laughs) No, it means God as spirit, as God himself is able to see everything that is going on on this earth, not just on this earth, but on every planet throughout his creation. He's able also to see into the spirit realm, and he's watching the angels that he created, some who have now turned into demons. God is fully aware. Nothing ever happens that God doesn't take note of. And because he's God, he allows things to happen, even though he's fully aware in advance that they're going to happen. So can you imagine one day you jump in your car and you're driving along and you have an accident? You think, God, why did you let that happen? Didn't you notice that that guy was going to hit me? Well, yeah, he knew it. He knew it in advance of it happening, but he allowed it to happen for his purposes. That's how wise our God is. That's how in control our God is. So he's all-knowing. He's omnipresent. He exists everywhere. Thirdly, he's omnipotent, omnipotent, which means all-powerful omnipotent. Nothing is impossible with God. In fact, that's what, it's, what Jesus said in Luke, or the angel said in Luke 1 verse 37. This is when the angel was explaining to Mary how it could be possible that the Holy Spirit could impregnate her and that she, as a virgin, could give birth. Whoever heard of such a thing? In fact, It doesn't biologically make sense. But this is what the angel said to Mary in Luke 1, verse 37. Well, actually, foretelling the birth of John the Baptist, even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be barren is in her sixth month of pregnancy, for nothing is impossible with God. There are no barriers when it comes to God, to what He can do. He is the one who created the universe. He created this earth. He oversees and rules over everything that happens on this earth, and He is in control. And according to His purpose, He can do anything. Now, somebody comes along and says, well, if if God is so powerful, can he sin? No, it's against his nature. He won't do something that's against his nature. So God won't lie. God won't sin because he is holy. And his nature is holy. That's why we're trying to grasp onto his nature. He has planted his nature in us And you know what? To the extent that God's nature grows in us, we're going to sin less and less and less. We talked about that last week. To the extent we let human nature rule in us, we're going to sin and we're going to stumble and we're going to latch on to old habits that we've had and that we can't let go of. So we have a holy God dwelling in us. We need to let him do his work of transforming us. We have to say no to human nature and yes to godly nature. And the more we do that, the more we're becoming like Jesus Christ. Amen. I like this scripture in Colossians 1 and verse 16. We're talking about God being all-powerful, and I like the way Paul phrases this here. He's actually talking about Jesus Christ. Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Well, we'll pick it up in verse 15 of Colossians 1, talking about Jesus. He is the image... Of the invisible God so Jesus came down to represent the father he said if you've seen me you've seen the father I'm just like him the firstborn over all creation verse 16 for by him all things were created we're talking about the power of God he created everything angelic beings the universe uh, however many different dimensions there are we know that we live in one dimension there's a spiritual dimension And who knows, there may even be others. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, so He preexisted, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, before anything was created. He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So this whole universe You know, from the biggest star and the biggest constellation up in the sky to the smallest atom and particle even smaller than an atom that the human eye can't see, somehow Jesus Christ holds it all together. And if Jesus Christ weren't in existence, this whole universe would fall apart. Verse 18, he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. So he is supreme. That's why we worship him. He's greater than any president, any king, any queen, any ruler of the earth. He is supreme in everything that he does. So he's all-powerful. So what have we seen about God so far? He's eternal, he's spirit, he's invisible, unless he chooses at some time to manifest himself so that we could see. He is all-knowing, he is omnipresent, and he is all-powerful, he's omnipotent. Now, those things we wouldn't know about God if we didn't have his word. He has revealed himself, and God has to reveal himself to us for us to understand. You can't go out and find God. You can't look for him with a telescope, because you'll never see him. He's invisible. You can't look for him with a microscope. You can see his creation maybe more clearly. But God has to reveal himself in order for us to know him. That's why if you don't read the Bible, you're never really going to understand much about God. And sometimes when you're in conversation with people, they have certain ideas about God. A lot of them are wrong because they're not reading His Word and they're not seeking His revelation of who He is. God has to tell us about Himself. We can't find out about Him. But you know, one thing that really strikes me about all of this is that this God, who is so great, who is so awesome, who is all-knowing, who is present everywhere, who is all powerful, he cares about you and me personally. He knows your name. He knows your name. And he has entered into a relationship with you, a personal relationship. Why does a God like that care about us? Remember, there was a psalm where, well, let's turn there to Hebrews, one last verse here. Hebrews 2, beginning in verse 6. Paul thought about this. David in the psalm thought about this because Paul quotes the psalm here. Notice what he says. Hebrews 2, verse 6, But there is a place where someone has testified, What is man that you, God, are mindful of him? You know, when you compare God to us, we are so helpless and hopeless, and human, and mortal, and physical, and capable of of getting hurt, and pain, and dying. When you look at God and all that he is, and you look at us, why does God even care about us? We are so, you know, when, when you go work out in the garden, and you see these little worms and bugs crawling through the earth, that's what we're like compared to God, why is God mindful of us? Why does he even care about us? He doesn't need us for anything. So the question came to David's mind, and and Paul quotes it here, what is man, God, that you are mindful of him? The son of man, that you care for him? You have made him, man, a little lower than the angels. We're not as great as the angels or as powerful as the angels. And notice he... In the margin, it says that that could also be translated, you have made man for a little while lower than the angels, which seems to apply that eventually, when Jesus returns and we receive our reward, our position is going to be higher than the angels right now. We're not going to become God, but we're going to be somewhere between God and the angels. You have made him a little lower, or for a little while lower than the angels. You crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. In putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to mankind. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So in bringing many sons to glory, it is fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering, that is Jesus. Both the one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. This God that we worship who is all of these things, in whose image we're made. Have you ever wondered, God, why why do you even spend the time with me? In all of my weaknesses, my sins, my shortcomings, how can a holy God have anything to do with people like us? Well, it seems that at some point in time, it was God's purpose to bring into existence this planet, this earth. He created it specifically for us. In a physical sense, he made everything that we would find enjoyable and pleasant and beautiful. He gave us life on this planet. He filled it with the kind of air that we need to breathe to live. And he made a place for us, starting with Adam and Eve coming down to our day today. And he's got a purpose for us being here. You know, a lot of people wonder, what is this life all about? Why are we here? We, we live so many years and then we die and go to our graves. What is it all about? Well, it's according to God's purpose, a purpose that was designed long before the universe was even created, that God was going to make life on this planet. And it was going to be so humble that we're made of the dirt of this earth on which we reside. We're made of dirt. You know, if you look at the human body and analyze it, you see the different things, the minerals in us and, and everything, that is represented by dirt. And it's our purpose to live on this earth, but to grow in relationship with this God who created it and created us. And God's purpose is to someday, well, we have already been invited to get on board His life You know, he didn't have a beginning, and he doesn't have an end. He wants us to get on board now so we can live with him in this endless life for all eternity, a life with no end, and to enjoy the things that he enjoys, and to live the kind of life that he lives, an eternal life, a transformed life, being changed and glorified in our human body and to live with Him for all eternity. Why did He choose us? Why this planet? We don't know. But I think somehow it's demonstrating His love, His forgiveness, His mercy, and His grace. And, you know, sometimes my mind thinks that, you know, He had a a discussion with some great spirit beings, maybe, that He brought into existence long before He ever created man. And He said somehow, you know what, I'm going to show you what a grace-filled God I am, and what a loving God I am. I'm going to create a planet. I'm going to make people out of the dirt of that planet. They're going to be mortal. They're going to be human. They're going to be fallible. But once they get into a relationship with me and worship me as their God, I'm going to give them great things. I'm going to give them eternal life. I'm going to give them power. I'm going to give them rulership. I'm going to give them a position that is going to be above the angels. And you just watch this happen and watch my grace and my love be demonstrated in the lives of this human race. And that's what's happening. That's what's happening. And I think that there are other, you know, maybe angelic beings watching and and just amazed at what God can do. And second-guessing God, thinking, God, are you right with this? Because we're looking at these people, and they're sinning, and there's wars on this planet, and there's revolutions on this planet, and there's misery and death on this planet. Are you sure, God, that that your purpose is going to be served here? And he says, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. That's the kind of God I am, and that's how powerful my grace can be. So we're all faced with a choice. Do we want to get on board with what God is doing? You know, some people live this life with no purpose, no goal, and they're very depressed and discouraged about it.